buddy. I get to share the stage this morning with uh, all sorts of colorful creatures. This is pretty, pretty cool. Once a year uh, we get to do this as we kick off Vacation Bible School starting uh, tomorrow night. And so thank you for everyone who's involved in Vacation Bible School, volunteering. Cool thing to celebrate. There's a lot of volunteers that are needed for Vacation Bible School. Every slot is full, Sherry says, and has been full for over a week. Like that, that's awesome. Thank you. Yes, Christy, thank you very much. Thank you uh, to those of you who are leading it, uh, who are volunteering. Thanks to those of you who are bringing your kids or have invited other kids to come. Um, and thanks to those of you who are just going to spend this week praying for these young people who are coming. We have, we have this window of time to influence these children, these families, to plant a seed of faith in them. For, uh, for some of them, maybe for many of them, this will be the first time they've ever heard the good news of Jesus, of a God of love. Um, and so we just would you spend this week praying for these children and their families, uh, that, that that message would just sort of take root in them. I would love to just have you find reminders throughout the week, ways to keep them in front of you. And uh, who knows what God will do with it. Look forward to, to hearing the stories, uh, maybe sometime in the future or in eternity. The cool, cool opportunity we have. Uh, I need to be honest that, like, I don't, uh, I don't quite feel like this this morning. Um, I don't, I don't quite feel this is happy. This is a uh, this is a really cool weekend. It should be. Um, and I don't know if you ever had these feelings, where it, it seems like there are there are different worlds that are coexisting, but they never really intersect with each other. Like the, there's a world where there's celebration happening, where everybody is sort of feeling good and right, and then there's this world right next door where things are full of pain and brokenness. And that's how life feels a lot of times, um, where, where these worlds are just, they're, they're sort of, they're, they're breathing the same air, but they're not, they're not inter- intersecting. And that's a little bit how I feel this morning. Um, some of you, probably many of you have heard um, by now that yesterday morning at like 3.30 in the morning, there was a young man, uh, 24 years old, who was shot and killed less than three miles from here just three miles from here. And had the, um, the opportunity to spend time with his family and loved ones and to just process the, the grief and the shock and the anger and the pain with them. And there are other connections to journey, to families, workplaces. Um, and I need to be honest that when I, uh, last night, as, here's my world, I'm, I'm tucking my son into bed and I crawl in his bed and I pull the covers up over him and I tell him I love him and I pray with him and give him a kiss on the forehead. And I realize this is my world. And there's a mother not very far from where I live who tonight is probably crying herself to sleep because her son is gone in this act of violence. And it, I feel a lot of things in that. Um, I feel the pain. I feel the grief. I also feel anger. I feel this kind of, this, just this anger at, at the enemy, uh, anger at sin, anger at violence, 
I feel some anger that this is, this is my community. This is your community. Like this is the place where God has called us and has planted us to be missionaries. Like this, is, this is our turf. Where we're called to be salt and light, to be people of healing in this world. And so there's this sense of just kind of like, this is not okay. This is not okay. So I bring all of that with me this morning. And I'll be honest, I was struggling like all week of saying, we're supposed to wrap up this global mission series and my heart is not in what I was planning to share. So wrestling kind of all week with, with God to say, what, what is it? What are you asking me to talk about? And then this whole thing happens Saturday morning and, and yesterday, just kind of praying about this morning, just felt like God was saying, would you just talk about the good news? Would you talk about the gospel? Would you talk about the remedy to our brokenness and our pain? And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to just take some time uh, to, to shine a light into whatever it is that we are facing this week, to shine the light of the good news of God's love for us into the brokenness of our world. And so um, as, we, as we just do this, as we prepare, I'd just love to, to say a prayer and invite uh, you to pray with me. God, we, uh, God, we uh, are here this morning because we're, we're hungry for you, we want you in our lives, God. We're here because um, we're choosing to be. And so, uh, God, we just ask that as we take this, this hour, we set it aside to just give you priority in our lives, to worship you, to hear from you. And God, as we take these next few minutes to just stare in to the hope of the world, which is your love for us expressed in Jesus. Pray that our minds would be clear. We pray that our hearts would be open. We pray that your spirit would just be close to us and that we would receive this good news, that it would have its effect in us so that we could be good news people in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Um, I want to do something a a little different than I've ever done before. And maybe some of you have seen this. Uh, I want to talk about the, the good news in the chairs. And I'm going to use these two chairs as this kind of a, a little bit of a visual uh, to talk about this gospel story. I uh, learned this from a couple of people. There's an Orthodox priest in Colorado Springs who kind of started this and it's been adapted. Uh, Brian Zahn, Bruxy Cavey, and I've adapted it a little bit. And so um, here we go. Maybe this will be helpful for us this morning. In the beginning, the good news starts in the beginning, the very beginning, uh, and it begins with God. In the beginning, God, out of his love and, and just the overflow of who God is, God creates, creates this world, creates this big, beautiful, mysterious world, <clears throat> and it all reflects his beauty, all reflects his glory. It all sort of sings together the song of worship. And God, out of his love, he creates human beings. And he creates human beings different from everything else in creation, a part of creation, but different. Because human beings are created in his image. And they're given this task of 
of taking care of the rest of the world, of stewarding it, of, of taking God's love and just spreading it to the ends of the earth. And God's heart in creating all of this and in creating human beings is that we would live in this face-to-face relationship with him. That this is, this is what God wants more than anything else is for us, people made in his image, to live face-to-face with him because he knows that this is the only way we will be fully alive. This is the only way we will be whole. We will be who we were created to be. But God knows that in order for this to not just be a sham, to not just be a facade of a relationship, we have to have a choice whether we're going to choose to live face-to-face or whether we're going to choose to turn away. So he gives us freedom, freedom to choose. The story goes on. Um, of course, we know that human beings um, were tempted. We're tempted by the serpent. We're tempted to believe this lie that God really isn't as good as he says he is, that God really doesn't have our best interests in mind. And human beings, Adam and Eve, mankind, we choose to turn our backs on God and on his life that he has given us. And something happens when we do this, when we choose to turn our backs on God, is we are cut off from our source of life, from eternal life. Because eternal life is to know the Father, to know our Creator. We're cut off from it, and something starts to happen to us with our backs turned as we start to die. We become subject to death and something starts to die inside of us. And there is a darkness that starts to grow inside of the human heart. And there is this deep sense of shame that starts to just take over and cloud the way we see ourselves in the world. And so what we do with our backs turned is all of a sudden now we hear God sort of coming to us and calling out our names and pursuing us. And God is is coming to us, and what do we do? We run and hide because we're afraid. So we try to, you know, just sort of stupidly, we try to cover our shame, we try to pretend that it didn't happen, and yet here we are hiding, trying to cover our shame, and God comes to us in our hiding, and he pursues us and calls us back into a relationship with him. This is who God is. He's not willing to let us stay broken. He's not willing to let this world stay broken. And so he comes to us and he pursues us and he calls us back into relationship. And there was a man, second generation, his name was Cain. And Cain lives with his back turned toward God. And not only is Cain filled with darkness and shame, this sort of internal brokenness, but it starts to take on all new territory. It starts to sort of feel, he starts to feel this new sensation of anger. Anger at his brother. His brother Abel, he starts to see as an enemy. And this anger starts to turn more and more insidious and it turns into hatred. And this hatred starts to grow inside of him and it wants to express itself in violence. And he can feel his fists clenching. And God, in his love and his grace, he comes to Cain. And he calls him and he says, Cain, be careful. Sin is like this carnivore that is crouching at your door and it is waiting to devour you, to have you. You have to turn from it. 
You have to turn to me. And of course, Cain doesn't. He chooses to turn his back on God, to not listen to the warnings. And Cain runs headlong into this darkness, into the anger, into the hatred, into the violence, and he picks up a stone, a part of God's good world, and he uses it as an instrument of violence. And for the first time in God's good world, human blood has stained the soil. This is we get a picture of the brokenness of humanity. Not only is there inner sort of shame and guilt, it expresses itself through this lie of the enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and we partner with it. But God continues to come to his people, these people who keep turning their backs on him. God continues to come and pursue them, and he says, listen, uh, I will come to you and I will give you my laws. Like, I'll, I'll give you these rules that'll guard you. They'll work as like bumpers for your life. And, and the first one is this, just live in relationship with me. Keep turned toward me. And, and then just honor each other. Like, s- stop killing each other. Honor my image in other human beings. And so God comes and he graciously gives us the law, but we keep turning our backs on him. So God comes again and he says, I, I'll be your God. I'll like come and I'll be your king and I'll lead you. And, and I'll actually be with you and I'll make my home with you in this tabernacle. And I'll be your king. And the people keep turning their backs and say, no, 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 we want a, we want a human king. So God gives them a human king. And he continues to come. He says, I'll give you prophets. And these prophets I'll raise up and I'll, they'll speak my words to you and they'll call you back to this faithful covenant with me so you can be fully alive. And the people don't listen to the prophets. In fact, they kill the prophets. So finally, God says, you've left me no choice. I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to remove you from the blessings. I'm going to take you from the land. And it's not just punishment. It is that. But I'm going to send you into exile so that your hearts will get hungry for me. Like I'll send you into exile so that you will know that I love you and so that your hearts will get hungry for me and you will turn and come back into this face-to-face relationship. But again and again, we continue to turn. So God does the unthinkable. The creator becomes the creation. The infinite becomes the finite. The immortal takes on mortality. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came to us in the person of of Jesus, and he found us with our backs turned. And he just kept pursuing us. Found a woman one day after a long walk. He found a woman sitting at a well, and she had waited to draw water from the well until the day was hot because she was so full of her shame that she didn't sort of couldn't bear the small talk that happened around the well and the sort of leering glances from others in the community. And God came to her and sat with her and started talking to her and started just talking about the reality of her life and the brokenness that she's been experiencing. 
This woman, she had a sense of what was missing in her life. She knew somewhere intuitively that it was love. It was love that she needed. Uh, But she was looking in all the wrong places, right? She's looking for these relationships that were somehow going to meet her needs. And she would get into a relationship and she would discover that this man can't give her what she needs and so the relationship would end. And it hasn't been one or two or three or four. It's been five marriages that have all ended. And she has this this life that just looks like it's in shambles and so she's given up on the whole marriage thing and now she's just living with this guy. Still trying to find healing for her brokenness. And God comes to her and he sees her and he talks to her and he offers her grace. He offers her living water that she has been longing for. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't just sort of throw her shame back in her face. He offers her what will finally meet her needs. And she chooses to receive it. And she runs back into the community, this community of people who have probably ostracized her and pushed her to the margin. She runs back to them and she says, come and meet this man who has told me everything I've ever done. You know what the implications of that are? Come and meet this man who knows everything I've done and he hasn't condemned me. Could he be the Messiah? God uh, comes and finds this other man and this man is wealthy. And um, the way he got his wealth was by uh, corruption. He was cheating, he was stealing, swindling. He was partnering with the oppressive Roman Empire to make his money. He was using their power and their violence. The whole system of oppression is how he got rich. And so he had lots of money. He had everything money could buy, but he didn't have friends. And so God comes to him. And God plants himself right in front of the tree. He's in and says, Zacchaeus, how about you come out of your tree? How about I come to your house today? Would you have me over? Would you invite me in? And Zacchaeus comes out of the tree and he says, yes. And they have a meal together. And before the meal is even over, Zacchaeus, who's been looking God in the face, stands up and he can't take it anymore. He just erupts. He says, look, Lord. Do you hear what he says? He says, Lord. Look, Lord. If I have cheated anyone, which I have, I'll pay him back fourfold. And I'm going to sell half my possessions and I'm going to give it to the poor. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. There's a woman who, we don't know the story, but she was somehow caught in adultery. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they, they, they caught her, whether it was a setup, we don't, we don't know. But here she is, condemned. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, come and they just sort of throw her at Jesus' feet while he's teaching one day. And the religious leaders were pretty happy to find somebody in adultery so they could pick up their stones in the spirit of Cain and condemn her. And kill her. And so they throw this woman in front of the presence of God and they say, well, listen, um, 
What are you going to do? Because the Bible says, through Moses, a woman like this should be killed. What do you say? And God gets down on his knees and begins to write in the dust. And it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. What did God write? What did he write? You know what the beautiful thing is we'll never know? Do you know that Jesus never wrote a word that has survived? We don't, we don't have anything, any record of anything Jesus ever wrote. Do you know why? Because he is the word of God. Jesus is what God has to say. And so he writes in the sand and he stands up and he says, um, how about we let the first person who is without sin cast the first stone? Whoever, whoever is sinless, you cast the first stone. And starting with the older first, they knew they sort of been had, so they drop their stones and they walk away. And, and God looks at this woman. You can imagine him sort of lifting her head. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she looks at him probably through tears in her eyes and she says, no one, Lord. And God says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. You notice what what he says. He doesn't say, go and leave your life of sin and then I won't condemn you. He says, "I I don't condemn you. Now, because I don't condemn you, because I am front, front end loading grace to you, respond to that grace by leaving your life of sin. This is how God acts. He just keeps pursuing us. There was a man who was a Gentile. He was not one of God's chosen people. And he was uh, filled with demons. Filled with demons. So much so that they called him legion. And God crosses the lake just to find him. Just to put himself in front of him. And God comes to him. He comes to this man who is almost, he's almost lost his humanity. He's almost like a wild animal. He's living out. He's sleeping among the tombs and he's howling at night and he's cutting himself. This pain inside of him is causing him to just cut himself with stones to inflict pain on his body that he feels deep inside of his soul. And God comes to him and isn't afraid of him, isn't afraid of the demons. In fact, he speaks to him. And he tells him to leave. And he casts them out of him. And for the first time in as long as he can remember, he is free. And, and he wants everything to, to go with Jesus. He's, he begs him, he says, take me with you. And Jesus says, no, you have, you have work to do. I'm going to send you to your people to tell them everything the Lord has done for you. Just tell your story. Tell how good God has been to you. Tell them about the freedom and the transformation that God has made. And so he does. You see, as God continues to come to us and continues to find us with our back turned, but He puts Himself in front of us and He heals us and, and He invites us to, to stay turned toward Him, to, to have this connection we were always meant to have, it drives some people crazy. Jesus is saying things to, to like a lame man. 
who his friends bring to him and sort of bring him right up in front of Jesus, he says to him, he says, son, your, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders, the one who caught the woman in the act of adultery, they're, they're furious. You can't forgive people's sins. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, exactly. Here I am. But just so you know, how about this? Pick up your mat and walk home. And he stands up and he takes his mat and he walks home. And and these religious leaders, they can't stand it. And so, with their hardened hearts, they continue to sort of strategize and to plan and to, to go with the lie of the enemy to use the weapons of violence to kill the very presence of God. And so, in the ultimate act of turning our backs on God's love, we crucify Him. We put all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our violence on the perfect, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. And He takes it. He just takes it all. And He takes it down into death. He takes it into the grave. And three days later, he rises again because death cannot hold him. And he comes back from the dead and he plants himself right in front of those we human beings who killed him and he says the words of a brand new world. He says, peace be with you. And he comes and he pursues this man Saul and Saul has kind of heard this message and he doesn't believe it and Saul is breathing out murderous threats. He's, he's so angry. He's so furious. He's, he's killing uh, these, these Christians who have believed in Jesus. And Jesus one day comes to Saul and knocks him off his horse and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And he plants himself right in front of Saul of Tarsus and Saul's life is changed and the scales fall from his eyes and he wakes up to this brand new world of love and grace. This good news. The good news is that God has come to us in the person of Jesus and he has pursued us and he has taken away our sin and our shame and our guilt and he has taken it all onto himself and he has left it in hell and he has planted himself in front of us and he has said, I offer you new life. I offer you new life. And he gives us choices. Will we receive it? Will we turn our backs on it? Or will we open ourselves up to it and will we receive his grace? And the good news of Jesus isn't just that we can live face to face with God. It's that when we open ourselves up to it, God actually comes and makes his home in us. His his spirit comes and dwells within us and he fills us with life and he sends us out just like that man who is freed of his demons to just tell the good news of Jesus, to make disciples. This is the hope of the world. There is only one hope for our world and I believe it with all of my heart and that is the message of God's love for us in Jesus. And so, This morning, we recognize that we have freedom. We have freedom to choose. 
And it's a gracious gift from God, the freedom to say, will I receive this? Will I respond to it? Will my heart stay open to it? Will I let it impact me or will I turn? And know this if you choose to turn, that God will keep pursuing you. He'll he'll keep loving you. You won't be able to shake it because God will continue to put himself in front of you through his Holy Spirit and will continue to reach out to your heart. I pray that we would respond to God's grace, that we would be people who are so filled with this message of good news, with this light that has come into a dark world, that we would be people of light in a world of brokenness and pain. This brothers and sisters, is the hope of the world. Would you pray with me? God, we ask, God, um, that your spirit that's here, your spirit that's moving in our hearts right now, um, God, as we hear this message of good news, that we would respond. And for some of us, God, we've never said yes to you. We've never, um, we've never just opened up And so for some of us, we see ourselves with our backs turned and we know that's true. We know that we're resisting. And God, for whatever the reason, whether we're afraid, whether we've believed the lie, whether we're too filled with shame that we're just hiding from you, we feel like it's too good to be true. God, only you can draw a human heart. And so God, draw our hearts. God, I pray, for, I pray for those of us who have our backs turned today and we know it. God, that you would place yourself right in front of us. God, that you would speak the words of grace and forgiveness and healing and purpose to us and we would simply say yes. We would receive it. We would trade our sin and our shame for your love and grace and hope. God, for those of us who um, we've responded to this message a long time ago, and, and, and good news, it somehow feels less good. It feels less fresh. It feels less just life-giving and inspiring. God, pray that your Holy Spirit that lives in us would start a fire inside of us that could not be quenched. God, that we return to you. We come back with all of our hearts. Surrender to you. God, so that you would do your work in us and you would send us out into this world as your people living on mission for you, God. Make us agents of these good news. God, that through our lives, through our words, God, that we would communicate this message that is the only hope of the world. Make us good news people, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.